0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Welcome to worship. What a great group of you have gathered here on this Sunday after Easter. I'm still basking in the celebration of Easter, as you heard. We had full houses on every campus. We saw people baptized on every campus, and we worshiped the Lord on every campus. We saw people saved on every campus, and that's happening again today. He is still risen. Jesus is alive. You know, on Easter, we talked about this simple truth. If the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible. I've got good news. The grave is still empty. Anything is possible by God's grace and for His glory. And so today, we still come in the shadow of Easter, and we open God's Word to hear His truth. Now, when we gather and worship, there's a lot of things we do, and, and so you've experienced that. We sing praises together. There's something about, according to Scripture, just praising the name of God in song. We, we spend time in prayer. In our church, we try to take prayer very seriously and make sure we have moments of prayer where we go before God in that way. We'll have an opportunity to give a little later. That's part of worship. But now we're opening God's Word. So I want to invite you to turn on or turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 13, where we continue this study Long study in the book of Romans. Romans is a book about salvation, what it means to be saved, how we're saved, our soteriology—the study of what it means to be saved, to have God's salvation in our life. And now we're in kind of the second part of that that study in Romans, because we spent a lot of time in the first eleven chapters just talking about the indicatives of the faith, what we know and believe, our our doctrines. And now we've come to where that gets practical, the imperatives of our faith, how we live out what we believe. That's how we behave, right? That's our duties. And so in chapter 12, we begin with that great verse That says, okay, brothers and sisters, let us present our bodies as a living sacrifice before God, holy and acceptable, pleasing before Him. That really is your spiritual act of worship, because when in doing that, we're being not conformed to this world, but being transformed into His likeness. And now, for the rest of the book, we're seeing what that looks like, how we're transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it seems hard. Imagine for a moment what it must have felt like to be one of those earliest followers of Christ. Maybe even the disciples. You walked with him and talked with him for three years. You saw him die on the cross, and in that moment, you just hit the depths of despair. And then three days later, he arose, and you find yourself on the seashore just having a... A breakfast of fresh fish cooked over a campfire and and you're on the high again. And you you spend some time with him and and then you watch him ascend into heaven and you're just thinking, all right, what's the deal? (laughs) I mean, is all of this real? Does it matter? What's next? And when I think through that, I think about my life as a follower of Jesus. I go through some of those same emotions. I have mountaintop experiences, and then I have times down in the valley. Just to let you know, last week was a great day, if you're a pastor, and particularly for the pastor of this church. So for no logical reason, on Monday, I experienced what I call Elijah syndrome. I mean, I was down. I mean, I was... Like, down. I mean, I was like, down, doobie-doobie, down, down, down. I mean, I, I, no logical reason, but I was just discouraged. And Elijah, even after great victory, you know, climbed up under a broom tree and said, all right, Lord, I'm ready to come home. And and so I know what the mountaintops are like. I know what the valleys are are like. And so some of what I I, I go through is how do I just live out this faith journey in a way that honors Jesus. How do I go forward in my faith? What should a day in my life look like? Is it what Dolly Parton sang about all those years ago? Tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen, pour yourself a cup of ambition, yawning and stretching and trying to stay alive. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the streets. The traffic starts jumping for folks like me on the job from... Nope, it's not even 9 to 5 anymore. It's a lot longer than that, it seems. Are you just pushing through? Or is there more to life? Well, in Romans chapter 13, we begin to see that there's more to life. So i want to pick up beginning in verse 8. This is the Word of God. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. This is a continuation. Let me just remind you, in in the previous verse, Paul had just reworded the words of Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus that we said he was rewording? Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And and so the Apostle Paul, um, he was reminding us that when Jesus had that encounter they had brought to him a question. Should we pay our taxes, even though Caesar is evil? And, and Jesus said, let me see the coin. And he took the coin and he said, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, render to Caesar's that which is Caesar's. And then we talked about how surely Jesus looked them in the eye with this intent. But now you give to God that which is God's. The coin has Caesar's image, so give that to Caesar, but you have the image of God, so give yourself to God. And now he's continuing by saying, so don't let debts remain to other people, except the debt of love. And then he reminds us of the commandments. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, they're summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, ooh, love does. Say those two words with me. Just say, love does. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Father, in these moments, once more we ask, give us what we need. Teach us. Change us. Lord, if there's not, if there's a person here who's not yet begun a relationship with you, would today be the day of their salvation? And Lord, may the words that I say and even my thoughts be pleasing to you, my strength. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to dive into chapter 13, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because Chapters 12 through 14, much like the same numbered chapters in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, all deal with this theme of love. But I want to use that to set the backdrop for what we're going to talk about today. Because Paul is saying that love is the main thing. I like what someone said about this passage of Scripture. They said the main thing is often the plain thing. We, we make things too hard, especially in church. So we we make it about long lists and we make it about big words. But very often, the main thing is the plain thing. And And Paul here is echoing more words of Jesus. What are the words of Jesus he's echoing? Remember the religious leaders came to him and they were trying to stump him. They were asking him, what's the most important of all the laws out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of law? And Jesus didn't even take any time to answer. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The scriptures have a lot to say about love. This passage, you could call it those two words that we repeated. Love does. Or you could call it love rules, because love does rule, and what you see here are some of the rules of love. Notice how this passage ends. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So of everything God would teach you, love is the fulfillment of that. Now just think about that. Think about how you've heard that I kind of grew up. I had a wonderful upbringing, but the truth is I, I, I thought a lot of the about the negatives of my faith. Like, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. I mean, it was like, God kind of wants me just to know, before I ask, the answer is, if it's fun, no. And, And yet, Scripture here is reminding us that maybe that's not what it's all about. Maybe here, God is reminding us, He's challenging us, He's convicting us that when it comes to the law, the answer really is the L-O-V-E, love. In fact, Jesus has told us that. He told us in John three sixteen, for God so, what? Loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul would tell us in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates his, what? Love in that while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. So we know this intrinsically, that love is a big deal, but it doesn't seem like we live this out in our our daily life. We know, as we say in this church, that we should love God passionately, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we should love others intentionally, that we should be conscious about the way we treat others. But in our daily life, it doesn't sometimes seem like we understand what love does. Maybe we're getting our definitions from the wrong places. Certainly society today doesn't teach biblical love well. If I look at society, man, love is about what I get out of it. Love is about how how you make me feel. It's not about my sacrifices or, or what I give to you. It's not about what love does. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you watch The Bachelorette. Now I don't. Well, I have. Um, my friend Bucky, his nephew, um, his nephew was one of the guys on The Bachelorette, and it, it became a big drama. If I I said the names, you that watch it would know it. So we watched a couple episodes that he was on that. But but I've I've heard somebody um, kind of. Just lay out the phases of love according to the bachelorette. See what you think about this. Um, Number one, the bachelorette says, I I can see myself loving him. And then the second phase, I'm falling in love. Why? How do I know? Because I felt something. And then the third phase, now, by the way, this takes place on day four. (laughs) I am in love. And then the fourth phase, I don't know what happened, but I'm falling out of love. And and then the fifth phase, I love him, but I'm not in love with him. Now I hear that, that does not sound like love. In fact, you know what it sounds like? The flu. (laughs) I know somebody that has the flu. I'm starting to feel like I might have the flu. I've got the flu. I'm feeling better. I think I'm getting over the flu. I don't have the flu anymore. (laughs) No, we we can't look to the world for what it means to love. We we have to look to God's Word. and, And God's Word says that love does. Love is exemplified in what we do. Love is not how we feel. Love is how we deal Remember, we've we've discovered early in the study of Romans that that we don't let our behavior be determined by our feelings. No, we determine what we should do based on our beliefs. And and what Scripture says we believe about love changes everything. The early church father, Aranus, says God did not tell us to follow him because he needed our help. but, But because he knew that in loving him, we would be made whole. So everything else we talk about today, I want you to understand from that backdrop that we're seeking to live our lives as followers of Christ out of an overflow of the love that He's shown to us. So my ability to love you and others well is based on how I have responded to His love to me. You got that? Let me say it again for those of you in the back. My ability to show horizontal love well is going to be based on how I've responded to vertical love. God's love to me. Now, with that in mind, Paul continues to tell us what love does. Verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up, say wake up, from your slumber, Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So when I think about that paragraph, that passage of Scripture, I I think about what a day in the life of a follower of Christ looks like. So I just want you to think about your life, or as I like to often say to you, your little corner of the world, how you're living out your faith. Let's compare that with this passage of Scripture, and then in just a few minutes, we're just all going to say, okay, how are we doing, and what needs to be done in response to what God has shown us about a day in our life? What about a day in your life? What are the routines? What does it look like? What's the very first thing you do every day? Tell me you wake up. (laughs) All right? Now, you should have got that because we all repeated it. Let's repeat it again. Say, wake up. up. We wake up. Then you're going to see we clean up. Then you're going to see we dress up. Let's look at the first one. If we're going to get this right, we had better wake up. That's the healthy thing for us to do. If we don't get out of bed, something's generally wrong. We're not feeling well. Maybe we're sick or we're depressed. When you're depressed, you never want to get up. You just want to pull the covers over your head. But when you're healthy, you wake up and you get going. Verse 11, Paul says, understanding the present time. So I used to, when I was still in school, I would have this terrible dream all the time. I would dream that it had come to the end of the semester and somehow I had forgotten a specific class. I had never gone to it and now I was failing. I couldn't graduate. When I finished my education, I stopped having that dream. You know what I dream now? That I sleep through church. And so, you know what I do every Sunday morning? My cell phone is one of those cell phones, it's got like 15 alarms set, like 5, 505, 510, 515, 520. I mean, I don't want to sleep, too, I want to wake up. Well, Paul says you, you need to understand what time it is so that you can wake up. Now, his meaning is different than what I just described to you. I just gave to you what in the Bible, the Greek word would have used this term, chronos. C H R O N O S, a specific time on a clock. 5, 505, 510, 515. But he doesn't use that word. He uses the word in the Greek, kairos, K A I R O S. And it speaks not to a time on the clock, but a season, an era. It reminds me of what he says in Ephesians 5. This is why it said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days, the season, is evil. So in light of this, Paul says, wake up. Do you know what it means to sleep? I wanted to make sure I had a good understanding, so I looked it up in dictionary.com. And so, in Dictionary.com, this is what it says about sleep. A condition of body and mind that typically recurs for several hours every night, praise the Lord, in which the eyes are closed, the postural muscles relax, I'm not sure what that means, the activity of the brain is altered, that's kind of scary, and consciousness of the surroundings is practically suspended. That's what you should have gotten last night. And then, What happened? you woke up. That was not a trick question. You woke up. Now, Paul's not writing this to a a group of the church gathered like you beautiful people today. So he's not experienced what I have to tell you I've experienced on far too many occasions. He's not looking out and seeing people dozing. He's not talking about physical sleep here. He's, He's talking about something else. He's talking about them waking up spiritually. He's saying there are many of you that are part of the broader church, and yet you're going through life, and you need to wake up. Say, wake up. up. What, What does that mean? He's talking about those who profess Christ, but their walk, because all throughout these verses, he's going to talk about walking, their walk causes them to look more like zombies. They don't look like those who are representing Jesus. Now, then he gives a reason of why this is so important. He tells them to wake up, and then he says why. Because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. If you're not very familiar with the scriptures, that could be a confusing phrase. It shouldn't be confusing if you've been hanging out here, but just in case, let me clarify it. In the book of Romans, when we hear that word that we translate salvation, it actually has three meanings, right? You remember that? We talk about how there's a moment in time, if you're a follower of Christ, there's a moment where you were saved. What's the theological term for that? justification. You were justified. It was just as if I'd never sinned. It was just as if I'd always obeyed. So though I was a sinner, the Bible says we're all sinners, I was separated from God. When I looked at what Jesus accomplished on the cross, when I received his forgiveness, when I committed my life to follow him, I was justified. And in that moment, once and for all, I was saved from the penalty of sin. I was saved. For me, I was a seven-year-old boy. What about for you? When were you saved? Okay, then it says we are being saved. Now that you know what the first one was, what is the theological term for this? Yeah, sanctified. More of you got it that time. We are sanctified. That means we are being transformed more into the image of Christ. When we were justified, we were saved from the penalty of sin. When I'm sanctified, I'm I'm saved from the power of sin. That means no longer am I a slave to sin, I am a slave to Christ. I have the ability within me to go forward in life, not just being controlled by my sinful desires. But the Bible says there's a third part of our salvation. We were saved from the penalty of sin... We're being saved from the power of sin, but we will be saved from the presence of sin. There is going to be a place where we no longer are tempted. There's no more pain, no more crying. What's the theological term for this? Yeah, we're glorified. We're seeing Jesus face to face. It happens for the believer before Jesus comes, when they die, and they see Jesus face to face. But for some people, in some time, in some season, it's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. Hey, so that's a newsflash. Did you know that, church? Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who lived 30 plus years of perfect life, who died on the cross for your sins, who was buried and God raised from the dead, who ascended into heaven. Did you know the Bible says He's coming back? Jesus is coming back. The New Testament calls this The parousia of Jesus is the culmination of our salvation. And Paul is saying, it's closer than it's ever been. So I gave you a little theology lesson, but I want you to think back about everything I just taught you. He says, you need to wake up because your salvation is more near than it's ever been. That means you're closer to the return of Jesus today than you were yesterday. That means when this service ends, you will be closer to the return of Jesus than you were when this service began. One out of every 24 verses in the New Testament of the Scriptures deals with the second coming of Christ. And yet Paul even in his life, recognized that a lot of people were beginning to live as if they didn't believe he was coming back. And this, Paul, I'm just going to tell you, a lot of us are struggling with that. I look at those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, and it doesn't seem like we believe the Scriptures when it says that Jesus is coming back. Let me just give you a few of those. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the angel said, Men of Galilee! Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. The Apostle Paul talks about it. In Philippians 3, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The half-brother of Jesus, James, talks about it. In James chapter 5, in verse 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rain. Peter Peter, the apostle, talks about it. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So the apostle Paul is saying, when you forget that Jesus is coming back, you fall asleep on the job. You don't do what love is supposed to do. You don't live your life as a follower of Christ. I'm so grateful for this season of life where I get to hang out a lot more with my mom. And and I just need to tell you, sometimes when we talk about big topics, I have to make sure I give disclaimers because I know what my mom is going to say. So for example, we were talking about something this week and I said to her, Mom, if Jesus doesn't come back before this happens... And if I don't die before you do, (laughs) we were just talking about some kind of of end-of-life things, but why did I begin with that first part? Because all of my life, I've heard my godly mother say, I believe Jesus is coming back before I die, and she may be right. You know, as I read the scriptures, just FYI, I don't think there's anything else that has to be done to prevent Jesus from coming back. But she may be wrong. I think most of the, the apostles felt like Jesus was going to come back before they died. And all of them gave their life. We don't know. What we know is this. 2 Peter 3.8 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. We don't know when he's coming back. But we know he's coming back. So we have to ask the question, Are we awake? Speaking of my mom, mom, I can remember at least one occasion, I I remember this. This was the last spanking I got from my mom. And yes, I got spankings, and I turned out okay. But the last spanking I got from my mother, it was the last because I laughed. I just started laughing because she she just didn't have it in, in her for it to be very hard. And you know what she said that scared the death out of me? What did she say? Wait till, your home. Wait till your dad gets home. I mean, I was hiding under the bed. I mean, I didn't want anything to do with that. And, and I think there should be a, a sense of this awareness. If we fall asleep on the job, if we're not living as Christians who are awake, we've got, we've got our... Our Heavenly Father who's sending Jesus to come back for us. And we won't be ready. But that should be a good time for us. It really should be. There's a phrase that's used a lot today and it's used and it's not right. You've heard it. People say the best is yet to come. I bet if you went on Twitter right now you could find a hashtag with thousands of quotes. The best is yet to come. And I'm just telling you, I've lived long enough to know that's not always true. Sometimes cancer's to come, sometimes divorce is to come, sometimes bankruptcies to come. On this side of heaven, it's not biblical to always say the best is yet to come. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, you know what we know? The best really is yet to come. We've got something to look forward to because we've got someone to look forward to. So if we're going to get this right, we really had better wake up. But if we're going to get this right, he then goes on to say we had better clean up. What do you need to clean up? No, really, I've pastored long enough. I've figured out I don't usually have to tell you what the sins are in your life, you know. where well, you need to clean up. What are those things you're doing that God said, don't do that? What are those things you're not doing that the Holy Spirit of God in you is saying, you should do more of this? Paul calls them the ways of darkness. Why is that? Well, even when I was growing up, there were things that were generally done at dark. That's the reason when I was a teenager and I drove, my parents gave me somewhat of a curfew. You know why? This is what they would say. Nothing good happens after that hour. Right? We live in a society where that's kind of changed. I'm, I'm raising my kids in a world in which the deeds of darkness have been brought into the daylight. It's like there's no shame anymore. And so we are trying to represent Christ in that setting. Listen to what Paul said. The night is nearly over. The day's almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. First thing I do every day is I've got to wake up. But you know what the second thing I generally do? Somewhere in there, now there may be some minor diversions. You may get a cup of coffee or uh, somebody came up to me after the last service. They said, Pastor, you left off one thing after wake up. I said, really what? They said, first thing I do after I wake up is I've got to pet the puppies. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But somewhere, if your day's going to get going in there, you're going to you're, you're gonna take a bath. You're going to take a shower. You can clean up. You know why? Because you stink. You can brush your teeth because your breath stinks. Ain't nobody wanna be around you like that. You might even put on some deodorant and, and put on some cologne. Why? Because we all need to clean up. And really, the thing, same thing should take place spiritually every day. Before our feet even hit the floor, this is what some of you are saying. We should cry out to God and say, oh God, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Help me to live my life in a way that honors you. And then we look at those things in our life that need to be dealt with. And he gives us a list. Let me just be frank with you. In a lot of translation, you know what this list starts with? The word orgies. Yep. It's in the Bible. Just devious, sexual sin. Who's Paul talking to? People in the church. And you know what I would tell you after 30 years? The same things that folks are struggling with out in the world, there are people in the church that are struggling with some of these same things. And so we have to be reminded that these ways are, are not of the Lord In the translation I read he, he calls it carousing and then sexual immorality and though this is not the the topic today, let me just remind you that, according to scripture, sexual immorality is any kind of sexual behavior that is not between a man and a woman who are married to each other and, and so while there's a lot of calls for tolerance and 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 love and acceptance of different lifestyles. Let me just tell you, Scripture is consistent on these things. My brother Greg and I were on on the same reading plan, and we were in Leviticus this morning. Go read Leviticus and, and what it says about how to live your life sexually pure. Failure to do this is living in darkness. And this is what John said in 1 John 1, 6, If you claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So what do we do? We clean up. You know what's interesting before I move on? You know what comes right after sexual immorality and drunkenness and debauchery in this list? Look at it. Dissension and jealousy. Jealousy. So so just in case you thought for a minute I was talking to everybody else, in God's economy, sin is sin. He wants you to get rid of all of it. The Puritans called this mortification. It's putting to death the things of the flesh in you. What do we do? Instead of that, we try sin management. We try to tame these behaviors in our life. You know what that makes me think of? You ever see the stories of these people that decide they're going to get an alligator for a pet and let it grow up in their home? Or they're going to have a tiger or a lion as their pet. And then shocker, something horrific happens. Why? Because you can't tame that kind of creature to be a pet. And you can't tame your sins by sin management. Jesus didn't die on the cross and raise from the dead dead just for you to be a better person. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to save you from the penalty of your sins and to make you a representative of His glory in this world. So what do you do to clean up? It's 1 John 1.9. got to agree with God about your status. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He purifies us. So you might just do that in that morning prayer before your feet hit the floor. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Keep me close and clean as I go throughout this day. If we're going to get this right, we better wake up. If we're going to get this right, we better clean up. <laughs> I'm just telling you, if we're going to get this right, we'd better dress up. Just go with me here. Who does this? Who wakes up, has their coffee, goes, takes a shower, puts on deodorant, shaves if you need to shave, whatever you do, then puts back on your pajamas and goes to work. Nobody does well, they do put on their pajamas and go to Walmart. Y'all stop that. That's not okay. That is not okay. But that's not what we do. We we put on appropriate clothing to go out and be seen by other people. Tim Keller describes this passage this way. He says, idols cannot be toppled. They can only be replaced by something more beautiful. So when you mortify, you put to death those things that need to be put to death in your life, then you vivify, you bring to life. Puritan's call this vivification. You bring to life those things that need to be put on in your life. That's what Paul talked about in Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In Galatians, he says it this way. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourself With Christ. When you put on Christ, what we're saying is, I'm the representation of Christ here in this world. That takes us back to chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You've probably heard this said. You may be the only Jesus that some will ever see. If that's the case professing Christ follower? What kind of Jesus are they seeing in you? Are you putting on Christ? Are you making an effort to represent Him well? Or, as He warned us at the end of this passage, are you gratifying the flesh? Because you think you can tame the pet of sin. You see, Scripture teaches... It's what we feed that grows. So we all have these sinful desires, these things that are are not of the Lord that we're we're tempted to do. And when we respond to that, guess what? It grows. That's why there's a slippery slope of sinfulness. There are things in our life that you you may think you would never do. And the first time you take a step in that direction, you know what? All of a sudden it's easier to do those things. And those of us who've lived enough know it. sinful choices whatever you feed will grow feed the flesh, watch the deeds of the flesh grow feed the spirit, watch the fruit of the spirit grow in your life put on Jesus there are biblical examples of this remember the story of the prodigal son, this guy took his inheritance he went out and partied, lived wild ended up hanging out with the pigs, had nothing left went running to his dad His dad took him in. And what did he do? He took off his robe and covered his son with it. That just tells us the lavish love of the Father is greater than the most heinous sins we can commit. Another story remember when Jesus went to his friend's house, Lazarus? Lazarus was dead. So Jesus cried out, Hey, Lazarus, come forth! <laughs> Lazarus rose from the dead. But there was a problem. He came walking out looking like a mummy. You know why? Because he was still wrapped in his gla- grave clothes. So Jesus said, let's get those grave clothes off of him because he's not dead anymore. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about it by, in this way, putting on the armor of God. He says you're not battling against flesh and, and, and that kind of thing. You're, you're battling against the darkness, the principalities. His spiritual realm. So, he says, put on this belt of truth. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on those shoes of speech. Put on that shield of faith. Put on the sword of the Spirit. He, he's saying that you put on these things that allow you to live in that way that honors God. Here's a problem. Some of you, you've, you've come out too much and you're not dressed up. You're not put on Jesus. On Monday before I began a busy week, and it was I put a lot of miles on the car. I was up in the panhandle beginning of the week about as far as you could go, and then I was down at the bottom of the peninsula by the end. But before I left, I went and visited my friend Rick at the hospital and i- ha- I got a treat because I didn't know he was about to be discharged, but he was being discharged so Janice's his wife went out to get the car, and he and I were about to walk out. Uh, the kind nurse had to wheel him out in the wheelchair, so I was just long for kicks and giggles. And, and so I was standing beside him, and as we were leaving the room, I looked at his bed, and I saw the hospital gown. Let me see your hand if you know what a hospital gown is. I go to a lot of hospitals. Ain't nothing pretty about a hospital gown. Ain't nothing fashionable about a hospital gown. In fact, I'll do a lot of hospital visits and People in hospital gowns are like doing rehab, and so they're walking down the hall. You don't want to get stuck behind a person walking in a hospital gown. I mean, this is bad news. I turned to Rick, and I said, hey, man, you want to take that hospital gown home? (laughs) And he just started laughing. He said, no, we'll leave that wadded up on the bed. Why? And how silly, I mean, how silly would it be to walk around in that thing? And yet, that's what some of us are doing. If we're going to get this right, we'd better wake up. If we're going to get this right, we'd better clean up. If we're going to get this right, we'd better, um, we better dress up. And by the way, you know how you do that? You're doing some of it today. You get into God's Word, just like we're doing, you get around God's people, the church, just like you're doing. You get into His presence so that you can hear from Him just like you're doing. So here's the question. How are things looking on this day in your little corner of the world? Let me ask that a different way. Are you living your life this day in preparation from that day? Jesus is coming back. I know I want to be ready. So how do we do this? Well, remember, the main thing is the plain thing. It's the L-O-V-E. My only hope is that I'm doing this out of response to the love that God's only shown to me. My love does because His love did. Did. So, if you're a follower of Christ, just some questions. Not a cute story, just some questions. How's your love doing? Or have you let idols kind of get in the way? Let me talk about some of those. Has food become a source of comfort for you and not a nourishment? And so it's, it's creating an unhealthy you. Have you begun to medicate yourself with something like drugs or alcohol rather than looking to God in the appropriate ways for health? Are you seeking to fi- to fill those God-giving, even sexual desires by by living that out in a way that's not okay according to His Word or pornography or illicit behavior or... Sexual immorality. Have you become a negative person that's always dividing people? Do you live with jealousy? All I've done is mention the few he listed. But we could go on and on. Christ follower, this is for us. It's time to wake up. It's time to clean up. It's time to dress up. But some of you are here And you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. For you, oh, for you, there's no better place you could be. It's time to be saved. Would you bow your heads with me? If you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. I believe that God has called you to this point To open your eyes to the truth of what we call his gospel, the good news. See, the Bible says you were separated from God just like me because of your sin. That sin, if it's left undealt with, will have to be punished. The punishment of that is forever separation, forever death. God doesn't want that. That's why instead of your punishment, Jesus took the punishment. And instead of forever death, he offers you forever life. But you've got to trust him. There's got to be a moment in your time. Remember that justification where you accept what Jesus has done for you. And that's when you're first clothed in his righteousness. Do you need to take that step today? You know if you do. Maybe you'd cry out this prayer to God. Make this your prayer to God right now, right where you are. Just say, dear Jesus, just you and God, dear Jesus, I know I need you. Just tell him, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died for my sin. Tell him. And I believe God raised you from the dead. You're alive today. So here I am. This is a big I receive your forgiveness. And I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. Did you tell him that? Now tell him thank you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And that's a big deal just prayed that prayer with me, I want to give you the chance just to celebrate that with somebody. So in this moment of kind of quiet, private ministry, if you just prayed that prayer across this room, would you just slip your hand up? You can slip it right back down. Just did that. That's awesome. It's the most important thing you could ever do. Welcome to God's family. Others of you? Welcome to God's family. If you just prayed that prayer, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. We're about to all stand up then we're going to sing. And when we begin to sing, I'm going to invite those who, are, who know they're Christ followers. Some of them just need to come and do some business with God. You can do that at your seat, but sometimes there's something about maybe just coming and kneeling down at the front of the stage here, and just praying. Man, as I, as I work through this, I realize there's some things in my life, there's some sin practices that need mortification. And, and there's some putting on a Jesus that needed that vivification in my life. And maybe that's you, Christ followers. So Christ followers are going to be stepping out and they're going to be coming to just pray. But if you just began that relationship with Christ or you want to talk to one of our pastors about beginning a relationship with Christ, time we begin to sing. Pastor Nick standing here. Pastor Zach standing in my right. I'll be here. We want you to step out and come. Would you stand together with me as I pray? So Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I ask that you'd give us freedom in this moment. That we would have a willingness to respond to do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. For that Christ follower, Lord, that like me, just has some areas where we need to wake up and clean up and dress up. Lord, I, I pray that you won't let us leave without doing business with you. And for that person that's beginning a relationship with you, may this be the day that changes everything. Give them courage just to come and take one of my brothers Nick and Zach's hand or my hand and just say hey I just prayed that prayer Lord let us not miss this moment because you're worth it there's no one like you Lord we worship you even in this moment in the name of Jesus Amen you begin to come even now there is no